This is Corolla Digital. From Level 5 City in Glendale, it's This Week with Larry Miller. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who loves good movies. Hi, folks, and welcome back to This Week with Larry Miller. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And, you know, it's a beautiful day today, though very hot, very muggy, and I feel up in spirit, and I don't think it has anything to do with the two free cans of iced tea or the one free can of Coke or the one free can of pocket mix. What would you call that? Sort of a trail mix. But it's not trail. It didn't have any fruit and it didn't have any, well, raisins or bananas or apricots. It didn't have any peanuts. It had, uh, well, folks, the same thing you've had in all your non-trail mix trail mixes, which is just sort of well, perfect food for a can of Coke and two cans of iced tea. It doesn't really mean anything to you. But neither does the soda. So I feel wonderful, and I got them all from the free show business candy soda tea machine we have here at Ace Broadcasting, which I have mentioned before, and it deserves mention again, is the greatest, most perfect addition to all of show business because it's free and you don't want it. You could have just come from, never mind a huge meal, you could have just come from a wedding. You could the kind of wedding where you don't have to eat again for three days, and when you see this machine and someone says, "Come on, there's free food, and free soda, and free iced tea," you would say, "Listen, I just came from a huge wedding and I'm stuffed. I don't want anything." And if the friend says again, "I don't think you heard me. It's free," and everyone's sane will then say, "Free." It's free. It's all free. And when you go over to the machine, I think everyone, every American has to say, you know what? As long as it's free, I'm hungry. And that's the way I feel now. And it's a, and then that music. And then the addition of that music. Oh, boy. It just I'm I'm sitting on top of the world now. And of course, that's the Chris Godwin Orchestra. And the Joyce Garman Chavez Dancers, featuring boy tenor Gary Mitchell, asking the musical question, Who is Lucy Goosey, and why is her work always so slipshod? Well, first of all, those are three terrific names. And I think uh, we all agree I got those names from Colonel Jeff, from you guys who write into our podcast and put things on the on on the Facebook and send in questions it's and and then next thing you know you get your name mentioned on the air just like that and uh, boy what a that's a heck of a question Gary Mitchell came up with who is Lucy Goosey and why is her work always so slipshod number 1 I have no idea what Lucy Goosey meant. As soon as the colonel showed me that, I thought, well, now that's funny. I haven't heard that a lot. But being Lucy Goosey sounds like one of those old sayings from, 
Well, from the 1880s, it sounds like that era, or the 1910s, or the 1920s, or something like that. But really, it sounds like a 19th century thing of, uh, well, he's a little loosey-goosey, or she's a little loosey-goosey. And I didn't even know what it meant. I thought it meant, well, not very good at something, and uh, really not trying to make it better loosey-goosey. It's just just bad work, kind of. And uh, so who is loosey-goosey? Wow, good question. I guess every job, every factory, every studio like ours here, every school has people who are loosey-goosey at their work. They just aren't very good at it. And I guess they're the ones who are loosey-goosey. And why is her work always so slipshod? First time, Gary, I feel like saying this. Aha! Because you wrote in the question, why is her work always so slipshod? I, I don't know, number one, but number two, the main thing is, why is it her? Why is the work hers? It could be a guy. Well, I guess the name Lucy sort of <laughs> leads you in that direction. And uh, But I looked it up. Colonel Jeff said, well, let's not take the time in our prep time for the show to look things up. And I said, hold right there, sir. Let's look this up together. And he quickly changed his mind. And not just because he's the only one who knows how to punch it into the computer there. But we were both interested, and I, I, I looked it up there. And Lucy Goosey, they say in the official fancy whatever you want to pull it up there when you go to Wikipedia or anything like that, or Google or anything. And this one said it was started, it became, it was invented, and came into use around 1964. And that surprised both. Colonel Jeff and me, true, we had already had bellyfuls of free soda and free candy, but we would have been surprised anyway, right? It seems way earlier than 1964, doesn't it? Lucy Goosey seems like something kind of in the hip world of, again, 1920, or farther back into the Old West and to the settler era, even back before the Civil War, back to the 1840s and 50s, it feels like it goes back there. Something that's a little loosey-goosey. And one of the definitions they had, it's funny, they have definitions. And they're in dictionaries, too. They're in the big, big things. I have one sitting on my desk at home. And I always insist on having a dictionary at home, by the way. Not the little paperback ones. I have plenty of those, too. And yet I think a fellow should always have a gigantic dictionary in his office, but a gigantic one, where if there's a bug crawling on the floor and you want to send it off into Bugland, and I always apologize, but he doesn't belong in the house there, and uh, I'm not talking about harmless bugs who just annoy you, I'm talking about the ones who look like, well, they're a little loosey-goosey, but if you see one of those and you drop this dictionary on it, it hits that bug so hard, he actually becomes an entry into the dictionary. He actually, with his drawn picture in it. That's how hard this dictionary hits. Uh, if you have, what was I even talking about there? It doesn't matter. They don't know. They're looking at me through the window. Who knows? 
Who listens? Who cares? Yeah, and now they're nodding like two second graders. They said in one of the di- in one of the dictionary stops that uh, it's like the goose, the nice animal, the goose, and uh, as loose as a goose. And I immediately thought, whoever wrote that in the dictionary has never really known anything about geese, because a goose is, frankly, a terrible animal. Now, please don't write in letters saying no. We have geese, and they're fantastic. My parents, God bless them, used to have a house by a big lake in New Jersey. And they used to get geese coming around because geese were all around that lake and I guess all around the hills. I don't know where or why geese hang around. But I can tell you, my mom and dad had just about had it with those geese. They... They think the land is theirs. They come up. They'll nip you. They, they're not kidding around. They'll bite. They'll eat anything that's out there. And they'll indulge in the last step of eating. Wink, wink, if you know what I mean. Right on your English stone path or wherever you're sitting there entertaining the new mayor and town council. Can you imagine that? I felt like I was in Mayberry for a second. But uh, they're really not looked forward to. It's not like, oh, look, the geese are back. Oh, how nice. Some of the geese came back. Oh, and there are five or six of them right now. And they'll come up the path and, oh, come here. Come here, little goosey. Come here, little goosey. And it comes over and you pet it on the little head. And then he or she goes, and everyone goes, why, they're adorable. And it's not like that at all. They'll come up and go, and then they'll attack you. So, And then you'll be laughing at having lost a finger. In any case, Gary, good question. Who is Lucy Goosey and why is her work always so slipshod? Yeah, Colonel Jeff just mimed drinking out of a bottle. The classic great American comical move of, you know, this guy where your thumb and your pinky are up and you... Pretend you're going, boy, people used to drink a ton. Not like us, huh? And by Amazon. That's right, Amazon. Amazon, as you know, folks, is the greatest business in the world because you order from them, they send it to you, and they send us a percentage of whatever it is you ordered. So you're happy, they're happy, and we're happy, and everyone's happy, and no one's loosey-goosey. That's Amazon. That's right. Don't go to Amazon on your laptop. Come to us on ours at LarryMillerPodcast.com. That's right, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. And at LarryMillerPodcast.com, we have a banner that says Amazon. You click our banner, we take you there. Click our banner, go take a nap, and get ready to go to Amazon. And by PayPal. That's right, PayPal. Still the most fun name to say, PayPal. And what we suggest is, what you do is you go to your favorite bar and stop in around 2 or 3 in the afternoon and say, By the way, what does a drink cost here? And when they tell you, when the bartender tells you the price of a drink, multiply that by 3 and send it to us here at the show. And that would be one drink for Colonel Jeff one drink for Dr. Chris, and one drink for me. And that will stand in all of our memories forever 
because it will be the only time that Colonel Jeff, Dr. Chris, or I have had just one drink. And thank you for helping. And now, my favorite section of the show, the joke of the week. That's right, the joke of the week. And this time, we got it from Dr. Chris, because I always turn, as we're starting to look for a joke, if I don't have one, and if Colonel Jeff doesn't have one, I always turn and say, hey, Dr. Chris, have you got a joke? And most of the time, first of all, because we're all friends here, we're very close, we're like a family, most of the time, then Colonel Jeff or I have to get up and shake him awake, because he's, well, he can pass out quickly. And we shake him awake, and he looked at me with a big smile and said, Larry, I have a joke. And he told it, and here it is. And Colonel Jeff and I both liked it. So here it is. A guy is in a taxi cab heading to the airport. And he feels good because it's a beautiful day. It's in the middle of the afternoon. And for the first time in many years, he's on time. He's not late. And he managed to pack and say all his goodbyes and make his calls before the flight, and here he is going to the airport, and he glances at his watch. It's always good to be early, but he's two hours early now. And even he, as happy as he is to be early, even he thought, wow, that's pretty early. I, You know what? And he thought he was feeling chipper, and he had a nice grin on his face, and it was a beautiful day, and he thought to himself, you know what? I think I might just stop in somewhere and have a drink before the flight, and not in an airport bar that always have names like Destinations. But he wanted to go stop at any place on the road there. And sure enough, they're coming up to a place. He sees it, oh, about 100 yards away. And uh, he, with a smile, he says to himself, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be early from now on, and today, before this flight, I'm going to stop in here. And he reaches through the open plexiglass window there and taps the driver on the shoulder and uh, says, uh, excuse me, buddy, would you mind? And he doesn't even get the, the, the question out. As soon as he taps the guy, he, the guy steps on the gas but floors it, and the, 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 the cab just takes off. It takes off like a rocket. And this guy is driving. He actually has to careen around an ambulance, and he goes up on the sidewalk, and he almost knocks into 10, 12, 100 people, and then he gets off the sidewalk and back onto the street, and then he starts, ah, and then he starts screaming, and he's driving like a maniac, and finally, after a while, 10 minutes, finally the guy, with heavy breathing and blinking his eyes rapidly, he's, he slows down and, oh, glances in the back and manages just to pull over for a quick breath. And, oh, boy. And, of course, the passenger is freaked out and creeped out now. He has no idea what's happened. He's been plastered and pasted to the windshield in the back to the rear window. And when the guy finally stops, he tumbles down onto the back seat and he himself sits up with a little heavy breath and a little blinking. And the driver turns around to him and says, Hey, mister, I'm sorry, but, well, this is my first day on the job here, and for the last 25 years, I drove a hearse.
<laughs> That's a pretty good joke, isn't it? 25 years, if you got tapped on the shoulder on the way to where you were going, that wasn't good news. Because a hearse doesn't have the family members in it. It just has, oh, you know, in it. So if that guy can open the coffin, look around and say, what happened to me? He's going to reach through that window the same way and tap the guy on the shoulder. And uh, he may want to stop in for a drink, too. But that would not be normal. So in any case, that's a good joke. Thank you to Dr. Chris. And tell your friends that one. And as Dr. Chris mentioned, he said, Yo, you can turn that into a shaggy dog story if you want. And what that means is, I've mentioned that phrase before. It's a good, classic, old comedy phrase. It means you can tell that joke anywhere you want. You can talk about the fellow's last job, rather the passenger, I mean. And you can say where he's going. And does he have a family? And is he leaving them? Is it only a three- or four-day work trip? Or is it a three- or four-week work trip? Or is he going to be with friends for, I don't know, a World Cup soccer match? First time I've said that phrase, by the way. Every newspaper says how popular that's become. Americans really turning on to soccer. Americans really finding how much they love soccer. And Americans finally realizing they want to be part of the world community for soccer. And, well, between you and me and everyone listening and Colonel Jeff and Dr. Chris through the window, I'm not turning on to soccer. I, I've watched, I watched the uh, couple of American games there, and there's always soccer on. Maybe you know that, too. If you have cable, there's always, well, three or four different games that are on. And even when I try to watch, I don't need to hear the language, even though I don't understand it, if it's Spanish or Russian or, or Polish. I don't know why I'm trying to be generous there. It's always Spanish. But no matter what it is, you know what? I, I, I'm not turning on to it. I, I think it's fine that these guys, well, are popular and really worked hard and are members of their country's teams. I, I don't even still know what that means. I still don't even know what it means when that guy bit someone else. You want to say, all right, true, we all know about every so often somebody bites someone. Every so often, it's not hard to see why someone goes a little loopy and, well, and, and, and bites someone. Mike Tyson, of course, comes to mind, and I respect him a lot. I dig him. I think he's an interesting cat, and I, I like him. And uh, he was, that was at Holyfield. He was fighting, and suddenly, not suddenly, they're, they're in a clinch. <laughs> and he decides the best way out of it is to, well, bite part of Evander's ear off. That may be correct. I don't know, but I'm. it didn't stun me. I thought, holy mackerel. And I think everyone left it sort of at holy mackerel. But in soccer, there's not a ton happening in the game anyway. There's not a, a lot of goals being scored. There's not a lot of anything. There's not a lot of, well, there's not a lot of penalties. There's not a lot of yellow cards or red cards. I think the red one is where you get thrown out. But this guy still, and it's not the first time, He's bitten someone, either. And so what he says on... He must be a heck of a first date, by the way, this guy. you have any crazy habits? Well, there's just one, and it's our first date. And I'm a little embarrassed to tell you, 
Oh, go ahead. I've heard everything. Well, no, you haven't. So in any case, if she says, you know what, just surprise me with it sometime. Okay. Fair enough. Well, that'll be quite a surprise. So in any case, Gary, I'm feeling loose as a goose, and I hope you are too. And that brings us, after telling that joke, to our poetry corner. A wonderful time, and I love it very much. And the poetry corner is a chance again, like spreading a good joke, like telling a good joke. It moves us all and brings us all together. And today, though, there's a poetry corner, and I, I think we're going to like this. It's, it's by Claude McKay. And uh, Claude McKay was roughly, he was a 20th century man, and he wrote a poem called If We Must Die by Claude McKay, and here it is. If we must die, let it not be like hogs, hunted and penned in an inglorious spot while round us bark the mad and hungry dogs, making their mock at our accursed lot. If we must die, let us nobly die, so that our precious blood may not be shed in vain. Then even the monsters we defy shall be constrained to honor us, though dead. O kinsmen, we must meet the common foe, Though far outnumbered, let us show us brave, and for the thousand blows deal one death blow. What though before us lies the open grave? Like men will face the murderous, cowardly pack, pressed to the wall, dying but fighting back. And the colonel and I and the doctor thought that was a lovely poem and a lovely, interesting, fierce sense of, well, as Dylan Thomas said famously, do not go gentle into that good night. Do not go gentle. And as Claude McKay has said, what a good couple of last lines in a stanza. Like men will face the murderous, cowardly pack, pressed to the wall, dying but fighting back. You know what? That's a nice sentiment. It's a nice way to look at it. Of course, another way to look at it is to say, uh, well, now, I'm prepared to be fierce in my death here, but here's another thought. Here's a way to go. Supposing you just put down that giant spear. How about that? And we can go, not together if you don't want, but we can go get something to eat and then just drive home and take a nap. I think I'm just offering, I think that could be better than... You killing me right now. I have to take my hat off to Claude McKay and say, God bless you. That was great. Good thinking. Good work. Well done. And there's a point to that, though. There's a point to looking for something. When we looked for a poem, I said to the colonel, you know what? Is it possible we can find something that has to do with death and passing on? and going to the next land, and is there something that has to do with that? And 
Well, there's a reason why. Because it blends into our magic movie moment, which is about Eli Wallach. And I wanted to say something. I'm never one to do this, really, as you know, if you're a fan of the show. And uh, Colonel Jeff agreed with me, though, that uh, it was a good time to say, what about Eli Wallach? As all of you know, unless you live in a cave, he's been in the newspapers and on TV a lot the last few days because he passed away. He was, and oh, Lord, folks, what a life. 98 years old. Anyone can say, well, that's a good, healthy, beautiful life. Good for you. God bless you. 98 years. You know, anyone would be thrilled with that. I think even in prison, even a, even a prisoner serving a life sentence must be thrilled at having made it 98 years. Actually, I just realized, no, no, he's not. No, he's 88 would have been fine with him. Really, 58 too. Just, you know, can we get out of here? Can I get out of block D? But you know what? If, boy, oh boy, if you know something about movies and if you love to know something about movies, and I do, and we talk about them a bit on the show here, well, I love the world of the magic movie moment. And Eli Wallach has been a favorite of mine for so long and perhaps of yours, too. And if you're not sure, if you're not familiar with him, please look him up. Eli, E-L-I, Wallach, W-A-L-L-A-C-H. I didn't have to concentrate much to think about how to spell that. Actually, I did. But that's it wasn't as nerve-wracking as trying to figure out how to say Lucy. But you know something, folks? Eli Wallach, God bless him, what a man. What an interesting guy. He's born in 1915. Now, even that bears some thinking. 1915, you're born then. That's before we got into World War I. He was born in the Bronx, and his parents were Jewish-Polish immigrants who lived in the Bronx and... They didn't speak a word of English when they came to America. And a lot of us know that in our backgrounds, too. But boy, oh boy, folks, when this fella started in theater and in writing, in acting classes, being, well, being one of the founding members of so many great classes in New York that had the greatest actors in them, in the 30s and 40s, for goodness sake. And I mean, of course, all the ones you know, Marlon Brando, Montgomery Clift, great, great actors. And then in his first parts, he won an Academy Award, I believe, for his first movie role, which was Baby Doll, directed, I think, by Ilya Kazan, and with Carol Bra Baker, starring Carol Baker, and... Oh, boy, and Carl Malden, who was in so many great movies. And, whew, boy, a terrific movie. And Eli Wallach came through as a kind of a bad guy and trying to steal 
Carl Malden's wife, who is Carol Baker, and trying to seduce her and take her to bed. I'll stop there. But boy, he was great in everything he did. So many movies, over 100 movies, so many Broadway shows again and again. He was in virtually everything Tennessee Williams wrote for Broadway. And what a successful star on Broadway, nominated for so many Tonys. And he met his wife in his first Broadway play, and his wife was the great Anne Jackson. And pardon me, I hope she's still well. I think she is. But... Holy mackerel, folks. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. The Magnificent Seven. How the West was won. The Misfits. There are so many. But I love each one of those. And when they come on, there are certain movies we all see when they come on because we feel a little bit like a prisoner. Oh, I have to see it. When Scarface comes on, you know, with, with Al Pacino, and what a great cast of Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, Lord, what a good movie. But when that comes on, I have to watch it. And I used to feel that way about uh, The Godfather and Godfather 2. And then I got to a point where I felt that way about Godfather 3. So you know I was getting nuts. But the point is, for Eli Wallach, anytime some of those movies come on, whether they're in the middle or just starting... I always watch, always watch them. And the Misfits, what a great movie. Folks, I'll tell you, there is no one more interesting than Eli Wallach, 98 years old, and the movie I wanted to talk about with the magic moment in it is The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. It's Sergio Leone directed it, and it's Clint Eastwood's first Big movie after being a TV star, and he left the series Rawhide, and he was starting to really just the barest start his first time in a movie. After that, that would lead to so much great work, and still, and well, of course, <laughs> Clint Eastwood and Eli Wallach, and the great Lee Van Cleef, who was in so many wonderful. They used to call them spaghetti westerns. That meant westerns, American westerns, shot in Italy. And this was from the late 40s through the 50s, and especially, though, in the 60s. A lot of these movies, and Clint Eastwood made so many of them. And they were great. They're fun. And it's also kind of fun because you realize a lot of the actors on the side playing the other parts, the middle and the lower level parts, and just they have a line or two, or they're just townspeople. But when you look at them, you realize, gee, he, he doesn't look like he's from Deadwood, frankly. He kind of looks, well, he kind of looks like what he is. He looks Italian because they were Italian. That is to say they were from Italy. And when you look at their faces, you realize yeah, it's, not, it's not exactly a kind of a William Shatner face. It's not exactly, you know, that, that, that sort of look. And that's fun in the movies, too. It's a fun part of it, and a magic movie moment in it that's perfect for Eli Wallach. He did so much. He played, in that movie, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, he plays Tuco, the Mexican bandit, who is partnered with Lee 
well, ultimately with all three of them, but really he's Clint Eastwood's partner, and then they have a breakup, and then they find each other again. It's a well-told, wonderful story. But when Eli Wallach is on his own, and he's in a town that's almost destroyed, it's the middle of the Civil War, and one end of the town is the Confederate Army, and one end is the Union Army, and it's being blown up, and people are killing each other left and right, and he finds an isolated, empty hotel that's all run down and broken down and parts of the walls are falling in and there's a big bathtub on the third floor the top floor god only knows when the last time he had a bath if you've seen this movie you 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 know it and that's a compliment to the character in a way but he says i'm gonna have a bath and he's such a tough guy and he's all alone now and he's away from clint eastwood and he gets in that tub And he can finally relax after how many decades of being the biggest, worst tough guy. And as he's sitting in the tub, just as he's had his first relaxing breath, in comes to the bathroom there, oh, a guy with his guns drawn. And he's really mad. And he he looks at Wallach as Tuco sitting in the tub there. And he says to him, I've been looking for you for a long time, Tuco, and I've planned to kill you because you did this to me and you did that and I knew so-and-so and I knew that I would catch you eventually and I didn't care how long it took because when I caught up to you, I knew I could smile and look you in the eye. And as he's saying this, suddenly Wallach, as Tuco, just takes a hand out of the tub with a gun in it and blows his head off. And it's a quick shot. Bam! He just blows his head off, and as the guy falls, then Wallach says to him, and I think a classic moment, Wallach says to him, if you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Now, that had great acting wit and character and strength to it, but it's also a sentiment, a kind of a line, well, you realize a year later and 10 years later and 20 years later, you realize that makes great sense. That actually makes fabulous sense. If you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. And it didn't make sense just for that character. It was a great moment in the movie. But I thought of that sense. Wow, I guess that's true. Yeah, he's saying there's no comeuppance. You don't need someone to suddenly realize how bad he's been. You don't need someone to beg for his life. You don't need someone to say, I, I see what you mean, I was wrong. Oh, don't kill me, don't kill me. You don't need any of that. If you do, you're a fool. If you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. That's a magic movie moment for me. And Eli Wallach, as a character, as Tuco, was not scared in that scene. He didn't suddenly say, oh, wait, don't, before you do this, let's talk this out. He did nothing like that. He was in the tub, and he knew as Tuco, if this is it, this is it. It wasn't, but if it were, this is it. But he doesn't do anything like that. That's what made Tuco a great character. That's what made Eli Wallach such a great actor. And as wonderful and romantic and warm as he could be, and as funny as he could be, he played a great evil villain in so many different movies. And, in fact, like The Magnificent Seven, he played Calvera, who was a mean guy, 
That's what makes it magical for me. And especially to a great artist who now just went up and crossed over to the other side and I'll bet you is having a great chat with folks like Marlon Brando and Montgomery Clift, Gary Cooper, and all the greats of his business. And the reason also that became a good story to tell today and a good choice to make for a magic movie moment is because when Eli Wallach passed away and I thought about it and I read every obituary on him. In fact, one of my kids was saying, boy, this guy must have been important. There's so much written about him. And another great thing about Eli Wallach, by the way, he was so successful and so well-known and in so many movies and TV shows. He was in many TV shows as not only a guest star, but someone who would come in for several episodes to be. And he, he played Mr. Freeze in the Batman TV show. And he said he still got more fan letters for that part. And he said, uh, I read this in some of the obituaries, that he said, I got $350 for that part, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger makes it and gets $20 million for the same part. And he said it with a laugh, you know, that that's show business. That's showbiz. You never know what's going to happen. But, folks, one of the reasons I wanted to bring him up is because as I was reading and thinking about him, my wife and kids and I went to see a movie ourselves last night. And it's a perfect relation to this because the movie we saw was Transformers 2, Age of Extinction. And... I hate saying things like this, but I'm going to. Age of Extinction is what every audience member feels as they leave. They feel that, you know what? We may be extinct now. It has a great cast. Oh, so many terrific people. I've always thought Mark Wahlberg is great. He's in, He can do comedy, too. And he's done so many interesting, different, heavy parts and he's the, he's the star in this. And Stanley Tucci, with whom I've worked, is in this. He's great. Well, wow, there's so many great actors and side parts. But there are, I must say, it's three hours long, first of all. And in it, oh, by the way, Optimus Prime is in it. The I didn't know anything about the Transformers before seeing this. But Optimus Prime... Uh, is one of the leads in this as a robot, as an Autobot. I can't remember the the distinction there. But, boy, you know, a three-hour movie. And uh, I must say that I think if this was too long. In fact, I said to my family as we were leaving, going back to the car, I said, you know what Optimus Prime means, by the way? It means three hours? It's It's a bit long and it's a bit pressed and nothing seems to work the way you want it to. And I am telling you with pride now, first of all, that the figures came out today of how much it made in its opening weekend. It's not only number one out of all movies, but it broke a record that has never been touched before. It did something no movie has ever done. In its opening weekend, it made over 
$100 million. That's a lot of money even for you and me. As Colonel Jeff was mentioning, that means a movie like this is going to be a huge success all over the world. Far more so even than here. Far more so. I'm glad for them. I'm proud for them. I, I, I really am. That's no baloney. And before this was made, if I were offered a part in it, I would have taken it in a second. Still, if they want to film me doing something and just stitch it in while it's the biggest hit in the world, the movie is kind of interesting to have seen as Eli Wallach passed away. It made more money than other, any other movie has ever made. It has so many great actors in it. And it just so happens it's not very good. At the end of the movie, we uh, got in our car and drove home. And it was still, even though it's summertime, there's no school, it was still, well, you get out of there about 10. And so we're back home by 10.30. It's not so late, but folks long time and if you can love that Transformers 2 and Eli Wallach are in the same business and deserve the same respect and the same self-respect you can be in show business too because we have a lot of the same together as you know Homer is Homer and Pluto is a planet so remember as always If you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you folks, the game's over and you've won. We'll see you soon and join us, remember, on LarryMillerPodcast.com. <laughs>